What happens when your driving force is to affect change in people's lives? On today's episode, we talk to Brent Riodica, the CEO and co-founder of Team Aguhon. He has been featured in shows like On The Money and Pit Stop. Now, he's here with us to talk about his pioneering company in education that offers a unique but much-needed alternative to the current state of learning. He and his team teaches kids life lessons instead of book lessons in their vision to build a solid foundation for the future leaders and influencers of our nation. So, without further delay, let's get on with it. You are the founder of Team Aguhon. Can you tell us exactly what does it do? Team Aguhon is the Philippines' personally professional training company for students. And we founded it because we feel that there is a gap between what the school teaches and what the students need in real life. Like, for example, we know that after studying, we know that we need different skills after uh, when we, we start working. Which means we need to, have, need to know how to deal with people, how to deal with challenges, how to become creative, how do we set plans, do we look into the future? I mean like soft skills. Yes, definitely. And, and most of the time, the schools don't give much emphasis on that. Maybe the most progressive ones, but not, not the majority really. What gave you the inspiration to pursue that? Because when we graduate from school, yeah. we don't really think about that. Yeah. But you somehow saw that. Has that been in the back of your mind or? I don't think it was been in the, at the back of my mind. It just so happened that I went through a lot of career changes. So while I was in school, I started studying engineering. I started out uh, studying ECE. And then on my third year, I asked myself, do you really want to do this for the next 30 years of my life? And the answer was no. So I started to look again. Okay, what's my interest? Oh, okay, I want to go film. So I, I, I shifted to taking up film. And then after, on my final year in film, I started a business. I, I felt like, okay, I want this. This is my interest. But I'm really into business. I like the whole thing that happens in business, creating and earning, being creative about it. I liked it. So after studying, I continued my business and after a few successes and failures there, I thought to myself, there's a part of business that I really like and it's training people. So I decided to become a professional trainer. I did some trainings for a few private companies and, and uh, government agencies. And then it was a time where I was really ha having, having a hard time deciding where to go because I like these stuff, I've tried these stuff. And so I, I told myself, okay, why not I try now pursuing something related to what I studied. So I, I joined the, I entered the TV network. I became executive producer for two cable channels. And then when I felt like I've learned everything I, I needed to learn there, I told myself, okay, now I think I know what to do. I think the biggest challenge for me was finding out what I really wanted. And if this is happening to me, this must be happening to a lot of people. And how did it come to that? I was talking with my co-founder, I actually have a co-founder, and we were talking, he was executive producer as well. I, I asked him, well, why are you here? Why, why are you doing this? And I knew that he was a psych graduate, but he was executive producer for a sports channel. And he was also asking me the same thing. How come he came from film and started business and did professional training in our heads? Okay, this must be really happening. If this happened to both of us, we're, we never saw each other before, but we had to do different career changes in a, in a very short span of time. 
this must be happening to a lot of people. So it came from that and we were asking ourselves, well, when did we really start deciding what to pursue? And then we thought about, okay, in school, when we choose courses, I don't know about you, but when, when I was in school, the way we chose courses was like, hey, what are you going to take up? And then my class would say something. And then if everyone says they're going to this course, then I feel like I should go to that course as well. And during my time, ECE was the in course. So I was in there. We felt that school doesn't really have enough time to discuss what career yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. To, to guide you. To guide to guide, to give information, so that we can make empowered or informed choices. And we felt that that needed to be supplemented, because if it's happening now, it's going to snowball into something bigger in the future. And it's happening already. We feel that it's, it has snowballed into something big. I think if you do help students, or at least guide them, then they'll make better decisions. Because it echoed my own experience in yes. college. When I was speaking my course, it was basically random. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And then a few years later, I was also kind of stressed at work. And I said, I think I'm in the wrong field yeah. because I would rather also interact mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. than do engineering. Yeah, I'm, I'm a graduate of engineering, by the way. Uh-huh. So in a way, I can relate to that, what you just said. Great. And Actually, two points on what you said. First, we are not just trying to guide them. What we actually want to do is give them tools and awareness so they can choose for themselves. That's why the, the mission really is to help students help themselves. That's what we're doing. Because we feel like if we tell them what to do, then they go through the same thing that we did, right? That, that we went through. So I feel like the best way to help them is to just give them the tools, the systems, so they can search for themselves. Because, uh, uh, which leads to my second point, the, the search is going to be there. I think we cannot remove the, the part where people would search for what they want, but we might as well help them make it shorter. Because I feel like a lot of people, we spend, what, our 20s to 30s just searching for what we want. And I'm sure you've heard of people who would jump from one job to another, stay for a year, and then think about taking master's degrees. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just feel like we can make it shorter because we can produce more productive citizens. And, and you know, our 20s to 30s, it's a time when we're the strongest, it's a time when we can spend all-nighters day after day and we can still we can still manage it i think you have a huge market for this because it's very prevalent that we hear of say millennials working in some big corporation but it seems like they cannot be happy or cannot find joy in doing what they do correct Now, this is an abstract concept. Mm -hmm. How do you manage to package or at least communicate what you want to do? In this day and age, it's basically a very attention deficit uh, kind of uh, society. Five minutes, the brains are gone. Sometimes it's even less than five minutes. So you have to get your message across in maybe even 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. How do you package such an abstract concept? Mm -hmm. Good question. Mm -hmm. For a service, what we really do are workshops. So we don't go for talks because I'm sure during our generation, we've already had tons of talks and you know, after 30 minutes, we're gone, right? For the more hyper students right now, it really takes a different mix of talks. And then we do games, we gamify, 
we also have videos it's really a, a blend of those and we expect we have experimented with this we find out what we can improve on and we've been around for more than seven years now so we've actually found out the right timing the right span for example for a talk for an activity for the processing of that activity and you know it's really about engagement and you're correct it looks abstract but what we have been focusing on for the last seven years that we've existed is engagement because we feel like the you know our teachers can just teach us and it's up to us to, to learn and it's good but what i think we can focus on more right now is to engage them how to engage the students how do we get their attention because when they're more engaged when they're more interested they listen more so we we blend those i think what separates us from a lot of teachers and from a lot of people who are doing trainings with students. What separates us is experience, because we tell them actual industry experience. And you'll be surprised because they are very interested in what happens in real life. Because I think this generation is the most exposed, because they have the internet, they have YouTube. And so we want to be that link. We want to bring in that experience to the classroom. And they actually hear from actual people what really happens out there. Walk me through how you got your first clients. Really what we did was just pick up the phone and call. We wanted to know first if, if it will work. Of course, all entrepreneurs, when you have a product, you believe in it so much, right? So I think the best way to validate it is to just pick up the phone and call. So we started booking appointments with people who we think would, would be interested in the program. So we got schools, we got guidance counselors, we got different people to hear us out. And it's just really a numbers game. It's not the skill, it's not the connection. But so give me an idea. Let's say, how many did you call? I would say we called around 50 schools <laughs> in the beginning because we were talking to different people, right? And we probably booked appointments for around 20, if I'm not mistaken. There was 20, there were so, 20 schools. So that's about 40%. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's good, actually. Yeah, but only one school gave us a positive response. So only one counselor thought that the program would be good to implement immediately. So that was our first year. First year was just really, hey, let's get this out there. How exactly do you structure the deal? Like, what's your value proposition? The first thing that we did was find out if schools needed training. And you'll be surprised. There are, there are schools actually need speakers from time to time and they don't know they don't know if, if who's available who will you call really if, if you want something something for the students so i think that was that gave us room to access the market that that simple point where schools would really want to someone from the outside to speak but not all schools are open to that so what we do is we let them see the program we present it properly to them and then we just tell them okay this is non-committal give us a chance to do this training to your to your students is that's a demonstration an actual workshop okay different schools different strategies for for example some would just request talks they just want to see you in action mm -hmm. And if they if they're sold, then they they pay for the service after. Some would would want to go directly to the training based on what we said. And these are the the really progressive ones, the ones who are really really want to risk it and who have who have the resources to risk it. So they just go in and you know give them a sample of the of the workshop, 
if they like it, we continue on with the with the relationship. Once they get to see your talk, and then you tell them your price, because I imagine public schools they're probably very hard to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> don't worry. Don't just imagine it. You're correct. You're not imagining things. What was the percentage of you doing the demo talk to them eventually availing of your packages? Mm-hmm. Do you have multiple packages, by the way, or it's just basically one? one? Just one. It's just one. Okay. Well, first, I think for, for starting entrepreneurs, and this would be for the, for the listeners, if you're starting, focus on one. Focus on one. Focus on one. Because if you offer too many at the same time, you'll go crazy. So just focus on one and refine it until it becomes a product market fit. What most people don't know about us is that we're a social enterprise, meaning we go to private schools, they pay for the service, and we go to debit schools, we give it for free. Because we feel like if we just have the private schools, there will be an imbalance because there are more students in the deaf schools. So a certain percentage of the what the private schools pay for really is paying for the workshops of deaf schools. It's like a subsidizing a part of it. But of course, yeah. of course, we cannot cover the whole deaf system, so we just limit it to to a ratio. Right now, it's four to one for every four students in the private schools. You're gonna give to one in the in the deaf school. So we we want to we want it to be one is to one, but right now that's all, that's what we can manage. We want to be responsible with the revenues also. Let's talk about your financial sustainability. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in the first year, obviously, you were starting, you did not have a lot of awareness, a lot of maybe credibility in the eyes of the schools. Mm-hmm. Did you bootstrap this? Did you have financiers? Mm-hmm. How were you able to basically survive from the first year all the way to whenever you became sustainable? Mm-hmm. Good question. We, we bootstrap this. Entrepreneurs, we want to learn as much as we can. For me, the only way to go about that is to bootstrap it. So it was our own money. We pulled it. And how did we survive? Yeah, tell me about that. Okay. Those are usually the juicy parts. Most of the time when you see entrepreneurs, they just have the success story and they just have the beginning and the the middle is normally not elaborated. And I, I have... Typically, yeah. people just want to hear about the good things. Uh-huh. They don't want to hear the times when you have to work for 12-hour days or you're worrying that you won't survive to the next month. But we're a little bit different here. Mm-hmm. So tell me about those things. Yeah. How did you survive your first? <laughs> first, in, in their defense, okay, I'm, I'm not actually defending them, but... There's a reason why most successful entrepreneurs just have the success story and then the beginning, like year one. And the reason is that sometimes it gets so difficult that you just do everything to get past the obstacles that time. And then after that, you just want to let it go. It doesn't become so clear anymore because your aim was to just get over it. Okay, let's just get past this. For example, for, for us, we've had times before, I think this was year three, we had workshops lined up but we didn't have money. So meaning we just have what? A few thousand pesos and you know- You have to pay your staff. Yeah. And actually not not just that, we had to eat and we had to go there. So that means expenses, right? And we had to have materials for the workshops. So all of those means expenses. And looking back now, 
I really can't detail, but from what I remember, it was just uh, I'll try to borrow money, and then you borrow money, we pull it. We use the money to to fund the the workshops, and just just we'll just pay you back. But there was this time before the school year was starting. We had workshops lined up for what two three months, and we didn't have money. And honestly, I can't detail to you what happened there, but I just know that we took it one week at a time. Okay, this week how we're gonna survive this week? So let's borrow. Okay, and then we get payment for this, and then let's use the money, let's roll it, and then we get more workshops, and then we roll it, and then we get a little excess. We pay back the the original money that we borrowed. So it, it's blurry because it was so difficult that you just want to. You wanted it to end. Yes. <laughs> you wanted yes. to get to the other side mm. where you're finally okay. We can finally breathe. We don't have to worry our day to day, and we can actually focus on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think you you said it better because I, you know it brings me back to those times where it stay up until two, thinking okay, it's gonna be five in a few hours and in three hours, and I still don't know how we're gonna make this work. So. Those times where it seemed like it would never end. I'm not uh, trying to blow this up, but really, those are difficult times. And you know what happens when when you have so many times like that. Sometimes even you're when you're becoming profitable already, you still get that that feeling of worry when in fact you're you're doing better now, and then you just have to let it go. So for most entrepreneurs, when they let it go. All the stories, they they become blurry. So you just get little anecdotes from those times, like selected we would, anecdotes. Yeah. So like before, we would we would go for for budget meals. We would go to meet at fast foods because we just have that much money for the meeting. We'd meet outside so we don't have to pay for the venue. You know, you find out. I think the best lesson there is that constraint breeds creativity. Right. I think the. What made us survive was fun, because we were just really having fun. The fun helped us see the purpose in what we're doing. Let's backtrack a little bit. Sure. During those hard, difficult times that you had, were there moments when you thought maybe I should pursue something else? Okay. Good question. What what really helped me get from point A to where I am right now is that in the beginning I made a decision. I think most entrepreneurs have a hard time because they try to decide every day. And if I try to decide every day, then I, it means I'm giving myself a lot more challenges. Like okay, when I wake up today, am I going to do this? Okay, when I wake up tomorrow, am I going to do this? I took that out of the equation. The decision was there. I am going to do this. So the question for me really was, how can I get through this? So if you're asking me if there was a time where I thought about doing something else, it was in the in the aspect of, am I going to do something else to earn while this is not earning? It wasn't really, should I stop this and just go for something else? It was really, how can this move forward and how can I earn from something else at the same time? And I did try. Tried applying for school. I was applying for a marketing position, mm-hmm. and I was talking to the VP for marketing. So she asked me, "Okay, what do you what do you do?" And I was, "Okay, this is what I do." And I was explaining what Team Aguhan does. And then she told me afterwards, "You know what? I don't want to get in the way of your passion. So I would want to hire you, but I don't want to get in the way of your passion." So they, I think they see it in my eyes. This is gonna happen no matter what. Why the reason why I'm applying? So that I need, just need to get over this phase of my business. 
for people who are in their businesses right now, the decision has to be there. It makes it a bit easier, not easy, hard or not, easy or not, it will happen, but I am not changing the decision to pursue this. Yeah, I mean, I can sense the passion that you have. Thank you. Just from the way you choose your words, you said that it's not about the decision whether to exit it or not, but whether the decision was whether to earn from something else right now. Something else right now. Yeah. So there were a couple of moments. There were several moments like that. There were people in the team, and I just really wanted to find out how I can sustain everyone. Because when we start businesses, we also think of everyone, right? That adds to our own worries. Right now, how big is your team? How many people under? We have eight people in the team. Uh, we we are very picky. We want to gain the trust of the schools. We don't want just anyone to be speaking in front of the students because that will be dangerous. We will be telling them things that they might use as life wisdom. So we're very careful with the people we bring into the team and we train these people very well. At what year did you become profitable? I'd say it was on the middle of fourth or fifth year. Middle of fourth or fifth? Yeah. That's, that's like a long time. It was a very long time. So, that's why I cannot detail a lot of things because that time my, my mind everything is just do. Okay, let's get on with this. Let's just get past this. What do you think drove you to withstand three, four years of basically you're not still you're not you weren't sure that there is sunshine yeah. at the end of this. Yeah. What okay. if this didn't work? First, okay, a few things. It was about purpose. And yeah, I know it sounds cheesy, but from the get-go, I knew the business was tied to my purpose. And really, if I'm starting something that's not tied to my, pur- my purpose, it's easy to give it up. And I would understand that. If, if people at some point just let their businesses go, I think it happens because it's not tied to something very personal to them. And to me, Tima Guhan's purpose is, to, is tied to mine. And my purpose is to help people become the best, best versions of themselves. And so that's what we're doing. So purpose helped me in those years because whenever whenever I see students and they, they tell me they've been inspired, they want to pursue this and that, and they message me a few years after telling me, Kriya Brent, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful because you said that, because right now I'm, I'm running for Laude because I pursued what I want. That, that keeps you going. It's not monetary, but that keeps you going. It keeps you, it gets you through the days where you feel like, okay, will this ever end? And then you get something like that, it keeps you going. Tell me the most memorable feedback that one of your students gave you. Okay, one of the most memorable, because there, there are different ones, and I don't know why it's memorable to me, I just think it, it, it struck a chord with me, but um, there was no, it was a silent feedback, but I remember one student way back asking me, he told me, Quibrin, this is from a school, uh, let's uh, let's just say it's not a the the well more well off schools. It's not one of them. But uh, the, one of the students there, he was he seemed like he wasn't listening the whole time. He was just he would just look and then talk to his seatmate or you know do something else. So I was just trying to observe this the student and and the guy approaches me after. So I thought okay they just want to to chat and take pictures and randomly he asks me, Fabian, what if no one believes in you? What do you do? And I told him, no one believed, when no one believed in me, I believed in myself. And the student just nodded and just walked away. And for me, that was memorable because I knew he was going through something similar to what I was going through 
with before even before starting a business because I told people my, my especially my family I told them I wanted to start a business and the reaction was lukewarm to put it in a nice way anyway so I felt like it was memorable to me because it it was something that I went through and I gave him the most an, honest answer that I had which was making a decision to believe in myself and to believe that I can do it when no one else would and that student could be a representative of a lot of students who don't talk a lot but are going through something and different different times you get that kind of student and I think if if we we inspire more students like that then they go on to, to inspire more like one of our students who just randomly messages me after what a year or two of not seeing each other because the person is the, the student is graduated and he tells me I want to I want to be a motivational speaker because I see what you do mm-hmm. and I want the same I want to inspire a lot of people in my generation and I think that is the way we can we can change the country we start with these people then becomes a ripple effect I know it will take time to see that but I I'm all for planting it right now planting the seeds right now because I want to do something that I cannot see but will reap the the rewards later you remind me of that proverb of an old man was like planting tree seeds and then someone told him why are you planting old man because you're going to die eventually you're going to die soon and said the old man said it's not for me it's for my grandkids so that that story that you just said reminded me of that and i think that's a great thing what do you have in vision as the next for team agubon So you started you weren't profitable in the first few years now you're profitable what's going to be like the next for me what I really see is to go into lifelong learning learning why because i think this generation they know that they have to be always evolving because everything is changing so fast with it grow up with that but they are growing up with that they know that everything changes in a, in what in a few years time so like blogs have become blogs now mm-hmm. influencers have started to appear when they weren't existing a few years back all right let's begin wrapping this interview sure what would you say would be your top tips first what i mentioned is to decide make a decision are you going to go for it because if your decision is to try business not going to work if your decision is to make it work then you'll always find a way to get over the obstacles to refine to find a fit to find clients you'll always find a way so it's a decision it's going to be very difficult if we wake up every day and ask ourselves am i going to do this today so get it out of the way make a decision let's go for it second tie to your purpose if the business has purpose for you then you don't, don't just give up you just really become very creative third is to help yourself and what do i mean by helping yourself help yourself by learning i support myself every day i read i grab a book i read a few pages because that's my support to myself we don't always wake up very motivated sometimes it just there is like okay i don't feel like moving so i support myself i grab a book i read fourth be with a really good group of people because i think what what really helped is that i was working with the best people i could find and we were just compounding each other we were exponentially growing because we were helping each other and it really helps like when you're really down and out you know it helps to have someone to to talk to like okay this and then 
you learn to you learn to let go of some of the emotions and just go at it again when you wake up. I think that's those are the very I, very basic. Yeah, I think those are brilliant. Thank you. So, if people are interested in Tima Guhon and what they're about, how are they gonna reach you? Okay, you can go to our social media pages. You can go to Team Maguhon, the verified page on on Facebook. And then we're also Team Maguhon on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at teammaguhon at gmail.com. You can also check out our pictures. We also have videos. So you can also check that out. Just send us a message. For sure, we'll be replying. Don't worry. Everyone's checking every hour. So for sure, we'll be replying. Yes. Because we're used to... We're used to students talking to us any time of the day. So so everyone's always on, on social media. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's Tima Gohan on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And TimaGohan at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you very much, Brent Rayodiga. Thank you, Thank you Chris. Did you enjoy that interview? No, really. Did you? If so, please like us on Facebook by going to the search box and typing The Hardworking Pinoy. Alternatively, these episodes are also available on YouTube. And if you have a podcast client on iTunes, simply search for our name, The Hardworking Pinoy. Now, here are my key takeaways from this interview. Number one, eliminate decisions that are not related to your goals. Brent was able to weather the storms by having a single-minded focus that he will do this no matter what. This is his calling, his purpose. Number two, the journey will sometimes take longer than what we initially imagined. But sometimes, not knowing is what enables us to take the leap. The smartest people are not necessarily the ones that succeed. It is the bold and the courageous. Number three, there are intrinsic rewards in genuinely helping others. People will remember you and will be grateful. And when times get tough, remembering those that you have helped can keep you going. So there you have it. On our next episode, we will be talking to an entrepreneur who credits a workplace conflict to him building a huge business that is poised to dominate his market. Until next time, continue being awesome.